I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Dear Joe King podcast with SJ and Eva B. We are a three-way Zoom podcast and thanks for listening. Oh, Eva's in a new space. I know, isn't it gorgeous? My bedroom. This is my boudoir. Oh my God. Are you in Budapest? I am in Budapest. Oh my God. How exciting. Very exciting. When did you land? I landed um, yesterday evening. And it was such a lovely feeling. Once I got out of the airport, it's obviously all a bit more long-winded now. There's lots of paperwork and working permits and it all, you know, it's a bit slower. Um, but not too bad because they're not dealing with that many flights either. There's anything, two flights that go in in a day. Um, but once I got out of the airport, you know, just that feeling that holiday, even I'm not here on holiday, obviously I'm here to work, but, I, but this, just that feeling of being, stepping foot on different soil in a different yeah. country. I didn't yeah. realize, I knew I was missing travel, but that is a very particular feeling. And I just got such a kick and a rush out of just being in a different country. I didn't quite realize how fed up of, of um, home I was. <laughs> fed up of England. Yeah. Um, no offense to England, but it's just been a long time of not being Oh, no offense to England. I mean, I'm yeah. sick of Ireland. It's no offense to any country. No you know, it's just country. like, can we yeah. all move? Can we all have a new view, please? Yeah. Exactly. Well, you're in Budapest and SJ's wearing nothing because it's obviously boiling in Madrid. <laughs> no, I've just got my jumpsuit on. Ah, it's lovely. Shoe, a little shoestring strap. It'll be a long time before you see me in a shoestring strap here. <laughs> a couple more months, I'd say. I had my, my breakfast in the sun. I went across oh. the little cafe and I sat yes. and it must have been, I'd say it was... 22 degrees maybe more oh, but should, I mean that in itself though is oh okay you are there to work but you're not working for another week yet That's I've got a week of, of quarantine being on, being on your own and being, being in a different country and, and being able to go and sit in a cafe on your own okay and... let's record five podcasts <laughs> Um, so how, what was the uh, Budapest coffee? Is it a lovely thing? Did you get a croissant? Yeah, or no, I hate to let you down, but I don't drink coffee. So oh my God. no, listen, I eat bread. I'm not doing a Gwyneth on this, okay? I ate lo- lashings of bread and I had beautiful poached eggs and avocado and a fresh orange juice and it was absolutely divine. Um, it was, yeah, in the sunshine. Oh, good. Poor yeah. Gwyneth did it again. What is she what? like? Oh. Poor Gwyneth fell off the, the bread wagon, did she? I was just going to turn my phone off last night and I thought, I'll just see what's trending on the Twitter. I'll have a quick look. Gwyneth at the top and sure I'm intrigued. The minute I see her trending, I'm like, what have you done now? And sure enough, she's given an interview where she said she went crazy during the pandemic. She went off the rails. She ate bread and pasta. Shock. Horror. She nearly lost her mind. Yeah. Well, 
the rest of us were drinking alcohol to beat the band and developing serious issues and, and uh, gaining half a stone and the rest gaining half a stone <laughs> eating endless snacks she ate bread and pasta this I was having fucking pasta sandwiches yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just like pasta sandwiches. It's just like I don't. Once again, she just has no sense of other people's struggles. Hey, that's the thing that's so awful about it is that what the fuck are you like? How messed up are you to actually say something like that? Like she must be a publicist nightmare. nightmare. Her publicist must be literally <laughs> demented every time she opens her mouth. Going, oh, she no. Was- I'd say her publicist is as far removed from sure. reality as, as she is, you know? She couldn't get her fucking private sushi chef to come because of lockdown. So lo and behold, she realised all she had in the back of the store cupboard <laughs> was bread and pasta. I mean, ridiculous. Oh, she's just it's funny. insane, though. It's ridiculous. Like, oh, ridiculous. It just causes so much trouble. I wonder how she feels when she sees she's trending. Does she realise, oh, God, I've put my foot in it again? Like, is there remorse? Does she go under the duvet for a couple of days and think, oh, Christ. You know, I said it this way. I didn't mean to say it like that. Is there a bit of that? Or I don't know. I actually don't. I really don't actually care. I, know. I don't care. I don't like, care. I don't Stop telling care. me about Gwyneth Faltrow. <laughs> no, but like, but it's <laughs> laugh though. Anyway, I'm so excited that Eva's escaped to another country. I escaped to another country where I will eat so, bread. And yeah. tell us, tell us this now. You, you're going to quarantine for a week, or is that right? I, do. I have to quarantine for a week. That's the film company's rules. I'm not mm-hmm. allowed to socialise with any members of the cast and crew. Um, so but you're not confined to I'm that room. So no, I am. I am not. I'm not in, in any way in solitary confinement or anything of the sort. But it is. I realised before I came over, my first time really of being on my own like you know I've obviously spent 25 years traveling on my own two jobs but joining people and you know meeting up with people and your crew and your cast become your family when you're away and all that this week as much as I'm allowed to go out and about um and be amongst the public um I I am on my own and I've I've never I've never done that I will report back next week after because this is only really day one I arrived last night so I'll let you know next week how I fare but I like I when I was thinking about it I've never holiday I've never done like some people go off and they do you know a few days retreat or they go walking somewhere or they you know live on their own I've actually you've never, never lived on your own I did I lived for a short period on my own but really it was probably you know it was maybe s- six months I never lived by myself I don't think most people do I mean I've shared houses with people I never had a flat. Yeah. On my own, but it was like, but I had a, you know, I was seeing someone. There was always somebody there. Like I, I didn't spend. I still see people during the day hanging out with pals during the day. I might have gone back to an empty flat and and whatnot, but I still seen people during the day. So yeah. I've never pro- experienced proper, you know, being on my own or going, you know, having that time to sort of really reflect and not. I mean. I, it's obviously we're living in time where I can see you guys and I'm going yeah. to FaceTime my family and all that. So yeah. there's I'm still, you know, um, talking every day. But um, but it's but it's a different feeling knowing that I'm not going to actually see somebody that I know. Yeah, yeah it is a very different feeling. It's quite yeah. weird, isn't it? You feel yeah. a bit displaced. It's slightly yeah. displaced. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel a bit jumpy. I always feel a bit jumpy when I'm in a new country, a bit vulnerable. Bit yeah. 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 
Yeah. And yes, quite happy to be there doing it, but you're still a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's coming, coming out of lockdown as well. I should, you know, I should really embrace the, <laughs> the fact that I haven't got that, the intensity of living at home with a family and looking after little ones and, and whatnot. And I feel. But also I was gearing myself up because the kids in the, in the, in the lead up to this, you know, I was telling them that obviously that I was going away and Joni obviously doesn't really have much concept of time. So I was just sort of saying a few days to her, but she's very articulate about, um, she can really put her feelings into words for all her age. She was, you know, the last couple what of What age is she? She's three and a half. Oh. And she was saying, I feel, I feel tearful, mama. I feel oh. tearful. I'm sad you're going away. And I feel, it makes me feel a bit sick in my tummy. And I was like, oh, love, I feel sad as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel tearful too. So and Jessie had a, had, a, had a cry about it as well. And so I sort of building myself mm. up to a big emotional farewell at the school gates. So I was dropping him off first. And then I was dropping her at nursery and, I gave him a big hug and I went to give him kisses all over his head and he spotted his pal watching from the sidelines and he literally went, get off me. <laughs> and into the school. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that was quicker than I expected. Anyway, I bring Joni up to nursery inspecting. This is going to be the big one. This is where, this is going to be emotional. She's going to be crying. I'm going to be crying and it's just going to be really, really upsetting. And I was dreading it. It had a, you know, that awful feeling in your stomach. And we got up there. We got into the nursery. I was saying goodbye at the, at the door, and her teacher, one of the teachers, was there saying, "Her mom is going away for two weeks, but you know everything will be fine." And I looked at Joni and I gave her a big hug, and I was like, "It's okay. It's going to be okay." And she looked at me and she went, "Yeah, I know. You're a big girl." Patted <laughs> me in the back and walked in. <laughs> uh, but look, isn't this amazing? Isn't the technology like just phenomenal? You can see yeah. them every day, you know, and they can talk to you every day. Yeah, like that's yeah. unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. So I can't, I can't really, I can't, I can't moan the fact that I'm, I'm on my own for a week it's actually totally fine but it just did make me realize I never did any of those trips when I was younger or yeah. a yoga retreat or those things that people are walking some mountains somewhere I've just never done it um what's your favorite place that you've traveled to that had the biggest sort of impact or you have the kind of fondest memories of or had you know was unlike anywhere else what's what what places what countries or cities stand out for you Dear God, now there's a question. There's a question. I think Hong Kong. Yeah. I thought Hong Kong was just phenomenal. I mean, I just could not believe this place existed. To me, it was like New York in Asia, you know, and you know how fabulous New York is. Like, yeah. it's just one of those, probably the best city in the world. Wouldn't we, yeah. wouldn't we agree? Like, it's yeah. just in terms of being the biggest melting pot in the world of cultures and of interesting things to do. And it's just, yeah. I just adore it. And then here was this city that was built high up with these skyscrapers and yet mountains and river and heat and people heaving in the streets. Like I, it blew my mind. Yeah. And I was there for a very, very short time. Like I think I had three nights in it, probably two or three. The gigs were like a bit of a non-event. I mean, the tour that I was on was insane. Myself and Dara Breen, we did a tour of the Middle East. And in it was, I think, two nights in Hong Kong and one night in Beijing. <laughs> it's just, and we were on the cheapest round the world flight. You like it couldn't have been. We couldn't, we went long, long routes around whoever booked this tour, you know, because this was back like, you know, r- rookie days, really. I mean, I wasn't really good enough to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> to be going anywhere further than the end of the road like I really 
you know, I might have had a good half hour in me, but I wasn't <laughs> experienced enough to be adapting my material for wherever I went. So I was really winging it. Uh, I think Dara probably covered for me quite a bit. But um, yeah, the flight, I'll never forget how wrecked we were on the way home. And Dara going, who in the name of Jesus booked these tickets? Like we literally went, you know, Abu Dhabi, Hong Kong, Bahrain. Yeah. China like it was mental and we ended up I remember in we ended up in uh, where's the place you can get the drugs Amsterdam Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) Amsterdam and we were stopping in Amsterdam for a night on our way home and we were so badly jet lagged from this insane trip that we just said, let's just go to one of those bars and just smoke a spliff and just lose our minds because we were already insane. And so off we went and we sat down and we had a lovely big smoke for ourselves and we had one of those phenomenal laughs, you know, just laughing uh, senselessly for about two hours. But we thought we were so funny that Dara thought he would start writing it down because obviously there was going to be genius material <laughs> that we could be looking at the next day. And the old, and he still has the beer mats. He kept them. No way. He kept the beer mats. And we, because we talked over the years, we had, we used to just constantly talk about this time. We had the crack in this pub. And on one of the beer mats, it said, pity the poor Boris Becker impersonator. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> This lad came in and he had a tennis racket in a bag. And I said, Jesus, he's, he's the spit of Boris Becker with that racket. And that was what was written down the mat. We obviously thought that this was hilarious. Pity, <laughs> pity the poor Boris Becker impersonator. There you go. Headline. Yeah, it's not funny now, clearly. But <laughs> as all things when you're stoned or drunk oh, are, yeah. are no longer funny. But we had it written on the beer mat and it stayed with me forever. As did on the same trip, we were in a nightclub in Abu Dhabi. And I always remember the DJ going, Abu Dhabi! And everybody in the room going, yay, Abu Dhabi! That's so good. what about you? God, the place that surprised me is was Jerusalem. I, I went there for the first time with um, with Ellie and his mom. And we spent around two weeks in Jerusalem and then we spent another week and a half in Tel Aviv. Um, but we like we were there for two weeks and it just blew my mind. Now, Ellie had been there. Ellie had a, his bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall. So, you know, they, they, their family is Jewish. They have and they have family that live there. And so... You know, I really you might was... have to go back a bit now. Ellie had his barbits hat the way you all in a sentence that you don't hear every day. <laughs> wow. Well, he actually did like a bar mitzvah tour. He had a bar because his parents were divorced. So he had a bar mitzvah in, in New Mexico and one in L.A. And then he had another one at the, in Israel at the Wailing Wall, because that was that was the, going to be the main event. Um, uh, Ellie doesn't love Jerusalem at all, like, you know, because he's. He's an atheist like myself. So he just goes like, oh, my God, the fucking religious fanatics are like to beat the band. And of course, it drives him mad, you know, whereas for me, I got it. I kind of felt like it was like a Disneyland for religious fanatics. You know, it's where it all comes together. And I was really excited by it. Like, you know, driving into the city, I almost fucking lost my life. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, there's a sign post for Bethlehem, Bethlehem. And then you see, no, I was the same. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, Nazareth, Nazareth, can we go to Nazareth? Like, <laughs> like, like, 
Space Mountain. Oh, Jesus, Nazareth, can we go there? Oh, my God, the Sea of Galilee. Oh, I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it. Like, the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> we went swimming in the Sea of Galilee. It, it, you know, I totally hear you. When you see the place name. So I went last year, or was it two years ago now? I went with Trocra because yeah. do, do you remember me telling you I went to Gaza? Yeah. And so as part of my trip and we had one day in Jerusalem, one, but like that, as your, I was driving in, it was going Nazareth, 10 kilometers. What? Nazareth? Yeah. And it's, it's because we grew up so Catholic. And you just forget that you've grown up that Catholic, right? Because we're quite lapsed and we're not in Mass every day, but we still know all of those of places. So well, they're entrenched. We, it, you know, they are. That stuff is just in us. It is, it's, yeah. And it's like, oh my God. But it, but it, but the city itself kind of took me to another level, right? So while I'm, I'm not practicing at all and haven't been for decades. In Jerusalem itself, in the old city, you know, you've got the 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 Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter, the Arab quarter, and the Armenian quarter. And then when you get to the wall, like the Wailing Wall, and I was so lucky that I was able to get in and go in um, with, with some of the people that my mother-in-law was there with. Um, and I got to be in the place where all of the Jewish women, you know, they pray on one side and the men pray on the other. And I was there and you're at the wall and yet like the Temple Mount is above you. It's like it's like the crux of everything that is fucking wrong in the world all meets at this place. And it, it's so it was kind of spiritual as well. Like I, it I, is I spiritual. Went, you can feel is, the history. Yeah, yeah, you can the feel history. the history in the walls and sure, in the pavement. It. It's like, yeah. okay, Jesus walked these roads. Even yeah, if you I did you know that. don't aren't aren't a Catholic and you don't believe in any of that, yeah. we know that Jesus was a person who existed. Yes. So like whatever you think of him. He walked these yeah. roads. And I did the stations of the cross where you walk the roads and then there are these little placards to, oh, well, this is where Veronica wiped his face. I love how all the names are all so English. Like, But I, I just wanted my parents to be there. I just kept thinking, oh, I really want them to come because for them, they would just get so much from it. And even in even in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you know, it's, you know, the where they built this church because it was where the cross went down and he was also buried in the tomb. So within the confines of this church is the place that he died on the cross. And then there's the tomb. And 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 it's just like, it's just insane. And I think. I think everybody should go there because you, even for me, for someone who's an atheist, I felt really moved by it. And there was one moment, and then I'll, I'll end there, is um, Ellie was in the middle of writing his book and he had finished the second section of the book. And the, the second section is, is about the, uh, the Holocaust and what had happened. And I went to the Tower of David and I went, climbed up, I found a little nook and I sat at a tiny little window looking out. It was the most spiritual moment I've ever had in my life. I thought, oh my God, like this building is 3000 years old and it's just the history. I loved it. And I Have really- accessible to, to anyone or was that, or could you- No, you, you can go in, you can go in. Yeah, you can was go in. Was there a in. huge volume of people? No, no, so there's have, not. You could have no, a quiet moment on yourself. Really quiet, yeah. Yeah. Put all in and have that experience that's yeah. incredible yeah yeah I, really I, I'm I really want to go back because I didn't have enough time and I was so frustrated I'd had a couple of days I think my trip was four days in total and three days in Gaza on one day in Jerusalem and I was just like you know yeah. I'd had one night and a, and a full day but what 
wasn't enough, but you're, you're right. There's that just incredible thing. Can we go together? Could we go into the I podcast? I would love to do that. I would love it. It's so great. And also like this, the, and I, I really felt strongly about bringing my parents back. Like I was kind of raving about it afterwards. And have they been since? No, because like we, you know, when we were there, it was 2016. And after we, and Tel Aviv, I mean, you talk about like a difference in cities. So, I mean, Jer- Jerusalem, you know, it's got all the history and all of the Orthodox community are mostly there. Um, and, um, you know, and, and it's be- like, you know, the, the limestone walls and visually it's just so extraordinary. Um, and then Tel Aviv, while it's not aesthetically a very pleasing to the eye city, it is such a sexy city, man. These people, they live life like they're they're going to be gone tomorrow. And they they in are Tel Aviv, in Tel Aviv, like the Israeli. And they're Im- incredibly good looking. Aren't they? They're, you know fucking sexy and full on like as well you know you have to kind of shout to have your voice heard then after that after Tel Aviv we took a little trip and went to Nazareth had lunch in Nazareth lads I was weak with excitement and you're proud and we haven't even mentioned the hummus oh Jesus I mean like you know like this is off the chart off the charts and I can tell you where to get the best (laughs) falafel like you'll never eat a falafel again because I had the best falafel there um and then we we stayed in Tiberias in an Airbnb um but you know we had to have this view of the Sea of Galilee and I mean it wasn't like a particularly pleasing place but I just couldn't, I just was so excited to be there. I just think it's amazing that because you're an atheist, I know you're obviously brought up Catholic, but you are an atheist now, that you still had that spiritual connection with the place. So there's like, it's sort of undeniable that there's something that's that, that yeah. powerful. And Well, I think what was powerful, what's undeniable is the way in which we were raised, right? These stories are entrenched into our into our makeup, right? You know, you, we were learning these stories from, you know, as soon as we could talk, right? You're being told these stories. And I and that's the thing about the city is that it is it is the most famous story. It it all meets in this place and it actually meets at the wall, right? Um, because you know, there not everyone can go to the Temple Mount. Only the, you know, the Muslims can go there. And so everyone is so close to each other and in such great proximity. And yet you know, it's it's incredible. But Esther, can I ask you something now? Because yeah. my my experience, because I was going with Troker to see yeah. Gaza, and because the Palestinians have been, you know, yeah. persecuted for so long, my experience was tempered with that. So even though I was completely, you know, enjoying the spiritual experience as much as I could, I did also have this sort of. I was very unsettled, okay, of because course. and and so when I was there, I was visiting the refugee camps, and I was visiting where the Palestinians live and how they are kept outside, and I I felt that oppression. Now I don't want to get into the political thing because it is so complex. Even before I yes. went, I actually tried to learn the history of this place, yeah, and I I couldn't. Like I yeah. I read one home I, I read a book and I still was lost because yeah. the conflicts are so they're just yeah. convoluted and hard to explain but yeah I did feel the oppression and I and I was my heart is with the Palestinians like that's not to say sure. anything against Israelis oh I, I know but my heart is with the Palestinians because yeah. they are oppressed and yeah 
Absolutely. Do you feel that as well? I, that you undercurrent. Do. There's an undercurrent. Absolutely. You can and you can't you can't not feel that. You really can't. And it's uh, you can't ignore it. Um, and nor can I, you know, talk about it because there's you know, I've been learning. I've learned so much more about it over the years from, you know, being married to Ellie and hearing his mom and, and sister talk about it. But, you know, I'm only scratching the surface, like getting my head around what what has been going on and hearing it from both points of view as well. You know, like it, it's very hard to wrap your head around it. It's really it's, difficult. It's Northern Ireland by a hundred, yeah. you know, the, the complexities. But I did it feel... Is. Incredibly privileged to to get sure. into Gaza. You know, I was meeting people in Gaza who hadn't left Gaza for 20 years and they had family in Jerusalem. They mm. couldn't see. I didn't know when they would get to see them. You know, you're not allowed to leave Gaza anymore. Yeah. Eva, this is the history. So it's it's like an open prison. They call it the biggest open prison in the world. And so there are people who are divided from their families who got sort of got out or got stuck on the other side before they sort of locked down. It's phenomenal. Yeah. But I mean, but Gaza is so poor. Like when you leave yeah. Gaza and you drive into Jerusalem, suddenly it feels like you're back in the real world. Being yeah. in Gaza is like being in the third world. Like it's just been decimated, you know, and there's been no money spent on it for so long. It's now like a war. It's war torn. Yeah. Essentially, it's absolutely war torn. Um, but yeah, it felt like, but I have to tell you, just my going in there. Do you know when you have a feeling when every hair stands up on the back of your neck, like when we were going in, it was what I imagined it would be like going into Guantanamo Bay, like very, very high walls, barbed wired, guys with guns all the way along on both sides and quite a long walk down and then sort of being interrogated and asked, you know, a hell of a lot of questions before you go in. So that was intimidating mm-hmm. um but then you went once you got in there and the, the guys and the people are just phenomenal like so friendly so lovely and they really live like because they have nothing else because they mm-hmm. have nothing they live with great joy like they share everything everyone's you know in as upbeat as they can possibly be because there is nothing else and if they're not that they lose their minds and plenty of them are losing their minds hence the young ones are throwing missiles you know over the walls because they're so frustrated they actually go to college they so their their kids go to school they get an education they go to university because there's university there's a college in gaza and then that's it there's no jobs and there's nowhere to go they can't get out it's absolutely horrendous situation but i must tell you this other story when i was leaving um I've been well briefed by the Troker people of what to say and what not to say, more importantly. But I had met this nun, this Irish nun who'd been sort of living between Jerusalem and Gaza for a long time and has done incredible, incredible work. Um, And she had told me that they had strip searched her on her way back out the last time. And uh, she wasn't trying to frighten me, but she was saying she just started telling me this story. And of course, I was going through the next day. And I thought, oh, here we go now. So if they're after strip searching a nun, they're, they're, they're not going to, you know, they're not holding back. Like, they're, they're not afraid. She told me the story and she said, I went as far as I took my blouse off. Now, can you imagine what that was like for this woman? This is a woman who has been a nun all of her life. She's in her 70s. She, for her to have to remove her clothes, 
her blouse and her skirt she took she refused to take her underwear off and they they accepted that and um she could speak fluently as well so uh, that was that but that was her story anyway I, she said to me look it probably won't happen to you i'm in and out so much they probably just decided this one you know that's yeah. just Let's just do a double check. Anyway, as I was going through, she had given me these kind of clues. She said, when you look up, she said, when you're going through, when you look up, they will do this with their hands. They go four or a three or a two with their fingers or a one. And they are to, uh, they're like signs to the guards of how much of a threat you are. Mm. So four being heavy, three being mild, and two and one being like kind of nothing. So I'm up at the thing and the next thing I take my shoes off and it goes through the thing and there's quite a lot of beeping and I see your man. I look up because the nun has told me and I, if I hadn't known, I wouldn't have bloody looked up and I might have had this terror. But I look up and I see your man putting up the four fingers. High threat, high threat. And I can hear the beeping and I'm like, I can feel my heart starting to fucking panic. And um, she, he says to me, put your shoes your shoes, again, your shoes go through again. So the, the shoes were beeping a lot. Me feckin' Sam Smith runners, lads. I thought, what is wrong here? So beep, 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 heavy beeps. No, they're shaking their heads. They can't understand it. Come through this room so I can see my two colleagues, the Shroker people, going through the normal route and I can see me being whisked off to a room. This room was like a little interrogation room. Oh, yeah. It's like everything you've ever seen from Midnight Express to all of the rest you've ever seen. It's a room like that. And they're looking down from above and there are cameras literally everywhere. everywhere. And the shoes are beeping and the next and I'm thinking, here they come now. They're sending they're sending somebody down. Somebody's coming down. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm going to be strip searched. And do you know what? I had this. I actually had a thought. Well, I am in the best shape of my life. I had just done. <laughs> I just done the dancing. I had just done the dancing with the stars and dropped a stone. So I was thinking, well, this is the time. If there's, time. if there's ever a time for me to take off my clothes, it's actually now. <laughs> Although while I was having that thought, I was like, I don't want to take my clothes off. My heart is pounding in my chest. And then I spotted the fucking shoes and I spotted these copper insoles that my mother had given me for arthritis. She and I'd forgotten all about them. She had bought these copper insoles, right? Because she had a pain in her back. And she said, Oh my God, these copper insoles have changed my life. I've got energy, you know, the pain is gone. And I have eternally aches and pains everywhere. And I said, Jesus, I've got to try them. And I had put the copper insoles into the shoes months before. Months. I hadn't given them a second thought. <laughs> I wasn't asked to take my runners off in Dublin because they don't ask you to take runners off. That's the reason I always travel in runners. And the next thing, beep, beep, I go, oh, Jesus. So I'm literally, I put my hands up and I go, it's the, oh, it's the insoles. It's the insoles. <laughs> and I run to the shoes and I'm holding them up. Copper, copper insoles. Look, tin, tin. I'm like, and your man's going, okay, 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 fine, okay, I accept this. And he takes them and he realizes that's what's beeping. Oh, Jesus, when I walked through, <laughs> that's me nerves. <gasps> there you go, that's me, Gaza story. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, Eva, tell me. What country? Um, Cambodia. Cuba. Oh, Cuba. Cuba. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Lucky. Well, dying. Dying to go there. Wow. But Cuba, I, I think for um, reasons that it was just unlike nowhere else I'd been, like still, you know, under such a you know strict communist regime, but to then encounter such a beautiful country and people that... Um, are, we're just living extraordinary lives with sort of again like sort of what you're saying with people who had sort of you know you know could be um educated and 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 trained and um qualified to then having to lead very restricted lives with very very little you know those um but Esther you reminded me when you're talking about sort of the sexiness of Tel Aviv that that's what was really apparent in Cuba as well. I remember getting off the, the, the airplanes and being hit by the heat first off. It was just like a, like being punched in the face. It was a wall of heat. It was so, so hot, so humid. And through my pasty Irish skin, I, I literally burned to crisp in, in, in a nanosecond. And we were there for nine weeks and I, and I never fully acclimatized to the heat. It was really, really full on. But the place is extraordinary because I mentioned here in, in Budapest that some of the old buildings still have the same old facades, but there's also a lot of very, very new, new building and modern architecture. Whereas in Cuba, like nothing has been touched. So it's this like faded, faded, crumbling beauty, um, extraordinary um, architecture, but it's just peeling and flaking and falling apart. And I remember walking past an, um, an amazing building, but it was, it was half a building. It was like half of it was in wreck and ruin and the other was half the building was still standing. And looking around the broken wall bit of it, the side of the building that was still relatively intact. And there were families, families living in the, in the, in the bit that was still, you know, livable, whilst the other bit was just rubble on the ground. And that was, that was really, really common. And then any of the sort of, you drive around sort of the, what would have been, you know, wealthier areas like a long time ago and bigger houses, again, were falling to, to rack and ruin and housing, you know, maybe a, a few families. And But there was this, what you could hear walking around the streets in, in the city centre um, was this kind of, this music. You'd always hear music from somewhere. So like, a, you know, a beat come from somewhere or, and there's this kind of undercurrent of mm. sexy um, living that people just like really enjoying and getting the most out of life and a community that was tight and they love their music as well. So there's sort of just this music spilling out of all these doorways, people on the street mm. um, drinking. There's still always quite, quite, quite a sort of a, a jovial um, uh 
atmosphere is really, really something. And people are really welcoming and bringing into their homes. And they'd, they'd have so little, you know, they'd have, you couldn't get anything in the supermarkets. For the supermarkets, as a tourist, you could go into this, the shelves were, you know, half the shelves were emptied, having an abundance of one thing. And then you could not find any toilet paper. Or and that that was the the kind of the the supermarkets that were that were for everyone. And then you'd have the the much smaller supermarkets that were just for locals, and they there would be a queue around the block, and they'd have their ration cards, and you wouldn't want to be at the end of a queue because there wouldn't be much by the time you got in, and just an extraordinary um, oppressed um, way of living. But that these people still managed to have such a such a such a life about them, such a, a warmth and. Um, and it, it was just it was just an extraordinary place, just not like anything I, I'd ever experienced before. On a job, I presume. On a job, yeah. Wow. It's not the best thing about unbelievable. About it's this the best work. thing about our job, because I think m- nearly all of my like really incredible encounters like that or experiences were all because of 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 filming. That in places I probably wouldn't have got to go to. If, if it wasn't on a job either because it was being paid for they were so mm. off the beaten track I remember um, filming in Morocco um, a long time ago um, a film with Alan Gilson and one of my first films actually Timbuktu it was called and we were in the um, uh, great t- filmmaker yeah he's a great filmmaker and it, and it was very sort of guerrilla style filmmaking you know it was sort of let's all travel in, 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 a, in a, um, a jeep together and he'd spot something that looked like, you know, a cool location. He'd just like, right, just, just jump out, just shoot this scene here. And he's was, such an artist, isn't he? He really has an eye. Yeah, he's yeah, so he's good. Such yeah. an eye. It was an extraordinary experience. We filmed in the, in the Sahara Desert, which is like in, in this mad pink caravan that we drove into the, into the Sahara Desert, which is really rocky, much rockier than I, than I thought. It's always be lots of, you know, there is the, the sand part of it, but we're in a very rocky part of it. And they managed to wedge this pink caravan between these rocks to, and we had to abandon it. It was like part of our, it was one of our vehicles, like that, the, you know, a lot of the story centered around and they got it wedged between two rocks in the Sahara Desert and we just had to leave it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Right. Then we traveled down to this amazing village. I think maybe it was Agora where the village was, where you couldn't see it until you're right up with your nose practically pressed against it because it was made of sand. It was a whole little village that was made of like compressed sand. And it was just extraordinary. It had limited electricity running through. It was just like wires with sort of bulbs hanging through. Um, And it it had one plot of land in it, like a farmer's plot of land that had amazing green, bright green, um, it was, it was, I can't remember what the crop was. It, I mean, it looked like kind of a thick blade of, of grass. And it was just, it, it stood out from, if you had a bird's eye view, it'd be the only thing you'd be able to see. You, you, the town would sort of, you know, dissolve into the, the sand. You wouldn't be able to see it. And then there's this bright green plot in the middle of it. And we were filming in that plot of, little plot of land. But again, just an extraordinary place where you, you wouldn't, as a tourist, probably even be able to find. I, you know, they, they, there was some recce they went on because they came up with the most amazing, amazing locations. Um, but yeah, and I think that, that you know, it's it's the one of the well, many blessings of our jobs that you get to experience these hundred percent extraordinary places, and 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 because you're experiencing it in a non-touristy yeah. capacity, I think people are much more willing to um, open their doors and let you in. Not not, not that saying yeah. they're, they're not like that to tourists, of course they are, but I think you're 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 going to areas that you just wouldn't, you know, you're really venturing off the path yeah, and going sure. to areas. You normally normally sure Um, that's true I mean we went to Morocco uh for Christmas two years ago I'd never been and we um 
you know, we really, we just lived, we just stayed in Marrakesh for a week with friends of ours. Um, and after that, I thought I, I, I never want to do that again because it was such, it's such a, we were the tourists in a very tourist driven city and I fucking hated it. it just was not. Yeah, for you're me. just not, you're not used to being a tourist. No. It's not the way you travel. And never. when you do, then you go, oh God. Oh God, no, it's not me at all. But I hadn't no. done, I don't, I, I can't even remember the last time I did that. Marrakesh is so touristy as well. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. But I couldn't wait to get out. And I was looking at all these tours of the Sahara Desert and I thought, Jesus, I definitely want to come back. That sounds incredible, Eva. I remember I built up such a, again, to be all pasty Irish skin. I was yeah. very proud of myself at the end because we were there for about five weeks and I built up a lovely tan. Lovely. Oh, it's a great tan. Oh. We went to Hammam on the second last day for the old Hammam experience, which was amazing. And got in there and it's all, you know, that just a very rudimentary you know, sort of stone slabs. They throw you on and, you know, about three women got there quite hard plasticky kind of scrubbing brushes and they lather you up all over and they get the brush and they scrub you all over scrubbing 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 I was like Jesus this is it's, it's a bit sore but it's good it's like it's sort of invigoration but Jesus Christ it's very full on this she held the uh, the scrubbing brush in front of me and it was covered in all this stuff this kind of claggy debris residue something <laughs> you're so tired you're tired In a foreign country, I'd never seen the sun on my face. He said, oh my God, she couldn't I have known the work, the hours it would have taken to get the that effort, down. The effort, and it was reduced to a lump of pulp in the palm of her hand. <laughs> that is the funniest, funniest, most tragic thing I've ever heard. I remember my boyfriend at the time saying to me, Jesus, you're awful pale for somebody who's been away. I was like, I fucking know. I know I am. And back then, like, you know, the way fake tan is like everywhere now and everyone's brown because the, we are the, we are the highest purchasers of fake tan in the world, I think, the Irish. And to be fair, we really need it. Like we are white, blue, white, what I call blue, white. My friend Marianne, I always remember this years ago, she said they went on holidays to France, her and two other friends, they're from Sligo. And she said, we were milk bottle white and the French used to stare at us and she said we were lying in a field one day trying to get the tan like this and we just overheard a farmer sort of walking by and going regard they les blanches <laughs> that's so weird. Linda and I my friend Bessie from college we were in Spain uh when we were during college and uh we'd walk down the beach and it just for it just from come from everywhere uh hey blanca blanca mira la blanca hey blanca you know we stood out why did will it ever come back into vogue again well the i whiteness there's an English white. There's a white white that's stunning, yeah. right? This porcelain, unblemished skin. Creamy. Everybody loves that. There's yeah. an ivory skin. That's not what we have. That's not what we have. We're the kind of mottled. We're a bit mottled. There's no, um, there's no marbly statue of David effect here. It's mottled. 
and it's just <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, Some yeah. people, I think, have. Was I meant to ask you as well? Do they still have all the? Was it full of all the 1950s cars? All the classic cars? Oh yeah, cars? I mean, like, like the like the buildings were crumbling. There was the 1950s cars that were being driven around, you know, and sort of you know, yeah. amazing that they, that they were still working and looking. So some in better nick than others, but a lot of the taxis. With yeah. the 1950s cars, you know. And my father adored Bonavista Social Club. Like that was his that was his track, you know, like that was his album. Like the yeah. last few yeah. years of his life was just like well, I remember going to uh, I remember could... the proper like locals Cuban um nightclub because we had, you know, we we're with with Cuban crew, we're bringing this out, which is amazing because you get to go to these so again. See, that's I the experience yeah, that you can't get you as a want. tourist. Yeah. That's what you need. Amazing club with amazing Cuban music. Jesus, the way they danced, the way. Asher, listen, they this danced. is it. This is the home of the salsa, the home of the like, rumba. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. Just, it's unbelievable. They have just extraordinary hip movement, like just so sexy. And there's a little group of us pasty Irish and English ones, and we were getting into listening to the music, going, "Oh yeah!" And try, I sort of remember trying to sort of copy some of the moves of some of these amazing women in front of me, trying to get the old hips going, get the yeah, so I'm really getting into it. And I happen to look over my shoulder, and there's a group of people, Cubans behind me, pissing themselves laughing at my, <laughs> at my stiff, <laughs> awkward hips, gyrating <laughs> to a different beat in my head, and they were literally pointing and laughing. <laughs> They guard they live long. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode, which was called Regarde les Blanches. We've been a podcast from Budapest, Madrid, and Dublin. Please don't forget to follow us on Spotify, like us on Apple, something, subscribe. It all adds that we need you. So much appreciated. This podcast is powered by the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.